This is a Federal News Network podcast. Some of the big U.S. technology firms are pledging to work with the Biden administration on a new cyber supply chain security framework. That's among several cybersecurity commitments announced after industry officials met with the president at the White House yesterday. Companies also promised to invest billions in new security measures and in training programs. We get more now from Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Justin, let's start with who was at the meeting yesterday at the White House. Pretty high-profile meeting. You, of course, had President Biden in attendance, and you also had the Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm. You had DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and several other cabinet officials. White House uh, National Cyber Director Chris Inglis. And then on the industry side, you had the CEOs of Apple, Google, Amazon, IBM. You had cyber insurance firms involved as well. You had had universities involved. And so there's a pretty across-the-board representation of many different important industries when you're talking about cybersecurity. They discussed recent cyber attacks. They discussed ransomware, which has been in the news so much lately. And they discussed several steps that industry and government will take to kind of address this problem that has just really gotten uh, worse and worse this year. And these high-tech White House confabs have become sort of ritualized over the past few administrations. Any major outcomes from this one other than happy talk? Well, there are several commitments that industry made, and of course, we have to see how they follow through on these commitments. One of the major things that came out of it, though, is that the National Institute of Standards and Technology will lead work on a new framework on technology supply chain security. Microsoft, Google, and IBM all decided that they would participate in that work in building out that framework. And so it will build and assess secure technology as well as evaluate other technology, including open source software. It's a pretty big initiative when you consider that supply chain security has been such a pressing issue for government in recent years, and there hasn't really been any sort of coalescing around a single way to address it. So this NIST project may be one way that government and industry can kind of coalesce around a a sort of way to address this pressing problem. And what will NIST actually do? Because it has done some groundwork on this area already. Right. They've done a lot of work on supply chain security. They've done a lot of work on cyber security in general and privacy as well. And so NIST says that they're going to kind of follow past framework work to include the private sector in this project um, pretty intimately. Terry Halverson, he's the former Defense Department Chief Information Officer, and now he's IBM's General Manager for the Federal Market. His boss, Chief Executive Arvind Krishna, participated in the White House meeting. And this is what Halverson told me about how this NIST work might shake out. What I think will happen here is NIST will take a look at work that's been done. You know, DHS had uh, a kind of a whole supply chain group, a task force last year working on supply chain, microelectronic issues, things that should be done by the industry, government. I think they'll take all that work. I think they'll take work NIST has done, some work that's been done by some other groups, pull that together and start laying out, okay, here's the priority set of things that need to be done first. Here's the next set of things that need to be done. Here are some timelines that we're going to strive for to get that done. 
and here's how we're going to structure this so that we have better cooperation between industry and government. That's Terry Halverson, IBM's general manager for the federal market, talking about new NIST work on a supply chain security framework. He also told me that one of the initial focuses for the project could be specifically on microelectronics and microchips. Uh, that's been a big concern for the Pentagon, for, for the executive branch in general, and, and you know for Congress now for, for several years here. The provenance and security of these chips is something that a lot of folks are worried about. And so this new NIST project on a framework could actually lay out some standards and, and goals for microelectronics and microchips, which underpin just about every modern technology out there. Did any other commitments come out of the companies that participated yesterday? Yes, you had some multi-billion dollar commitments from some of these companies. Uh, Google said it will invest $10 billion over the next five years to expand zero trust programs and help secure the software supply chain. You also had Microsoft announcing $20 billion over five years to accelerate efforts to integrate cybersecurity into security solutions. There's also cybersecurity training and education commitments made by several companies. IBM said it will train 150,000 people in cybersecurity skills over the next three years. It will also partner with historically black colleges and universities to establish cybersecurity leadership centers at these institutions. Amazon said it will make available at to the public at no charge security awareness training. So you had these companies coming here and essentially saying, we're going to put some dollars on the table. We're going to put some efforts on the table to help in this issue of cybersecurity that the Biden administration has obviously been so focused on here in its initial months in office. And did you get the sense that maybe the companies are hoping to avoid federal regulation by signing up to these programs and NIST programs because the private sector has been hit pretty hard lately? It's all kumbaya, obviously, after an, a meeting like this, and it's it's it shows good collaboration between the government and industry. But the Biden administration is also signaled that it may consider requirements. We've talked on this program about how Congress has put forth several bills for things like cyber incident reporting legislation, where it would be mandatory for certain companies to report cyber incidents. So there's certainly a lot of mandates that are on the table here, in addition to some of these voluntary collaboration efforts that we're discussing. I asked Terry Halverson from IBM about the potential for mandates and whether he thinks this sort of collaboration will help head off perhaps some of the more stressing requirements. I think this administration has really reached into industry to say, okay, we all agree here's the problem. We've got to have a more coordinated and concentrated cybersecurity approach. I think the second thing they've said is, and this has got to involve industry, and it can't all just be driven by mandates that say you must, you must. Do I think realistically in the end there'll have to be something like a couple mandates? Probably. But I think even those will be guided by industry input. That's Terry Halverson, IBM's general manager for Federal Marketplace, talking about the potential for cybersecurity requirements. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. And during his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, 
and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's chief of legislative affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. Um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own. But he would stop and he would focus on me. And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. 
you don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, 
always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.